0: Let me call us to worship now. Um, the angels appeared in the skies where the shepherds were. And this is what the angels said. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, let me pray for us. Lord, as, as we gather tonight uh, in various locations, I pray you would knit our hearts together as your people. I pray you would just set aside some time in our minds and our heart right now so we can focus in on the truth of what really matters, who you are, um, your great gift to us to, in becoming a baby, fully God, fully man. And uh, So, Lord, I pray you would touch our hearts, receive our worship, and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's take a look at Matthew's version of the Christmas story. This is what we've been looking at for the last uh, couple of messages, and we're going to look at it uh, one more time tonight. And it is Matthew chapter 2, where... Matthew writes, now after Jesus was born, I'm going to make sure I'm unmuted here. Okay. Uh, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where? And, and I, uh, I have four words Uh, in red here. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Here are people looking. They're they're seekers. So uh, seekers is one word I want you to keep in mind. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And he wasn't troubled because he didn't know where the the king was. He was troubled that there was another king born who would threaten him. He was a crazy, uh, murderous maniac. Remember, he tries to kill Jesus and all the two-year-olds. So he's troubled, and all of Jerusalem is troubled because he's troubled. We don't need Herod troubled, right? And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written, um, it's written where? In the scriptures. So we've got seekers, a star in the scriptures. You see where this is going, people, right? And it's written in the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. and frankincense, and myrrh. So as I mentioned a couple of messages ago, when I read this story, I am always amazed at the contrast between the tenacity of these wise men who are are willing to travel great distances and, and compare that to the apathy of the people of Israel. You could, you could call it the seekers versus the sleepers. And the story of the wise men is really a picture of intense seeking after God. Um, really, what it is, is it's the drama of Jeremiah 29, 13 being lived out. God promises, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, um, I entitled the, the little devotional Four Christmas Gifts. And uh, God, in essence, gives the wise men four things, four gifts that ultimately lead in them finding the, the true gift, Jesus, the Savior. All right, so let's, let's take a quick look at the four gifts that God gives to them. The first, he gives them seeking hearts, right? Um, why would they travel this distance to find this king? It says, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, uh, we don't know exactly where the east was, but most people, uh, when you look at the term magi, and you look at what was going on during that day and age, they would say the east was Persia, modern-day Iran, which is, um, as the crow flies, 800 miles from Jerusalem, okay? So, here these guys are willing, uh, on, on a star being in the sky, they're willing to pack up their supplies and travel, who knows how long, maybe, it could have been years, um, at least, Uh, months to try to find this newborn king how do you explain their willingness to make all this sacrifice well they had to have seeking hearts now that's a miracle because we are told in romans no one is righteous no not one no one understands no one seeks for god so if no one seeks after God, how do you explain these people? Or how, how do you explain you who it's uh, Friday night at uh, five o'clock? Why would you take time out to seek after God? Well, the, the answer is he first comes after us and he draws us. All right? John 6, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In fact, from the book of Ezekiel, we're told uh, that God takes out our, our stony hearts, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. So, every one of you who's truly seeking after God, you're a miracle, right? It's, it's a miracle to even take the time to want to seek after who. God is. So, the first gift that he gives them are seeking hearts, right? So, then we read about this star. Now, we don't know exactly what the star was, um, but I do know this. It had to be subtle enough for Israel to ignore, but it had to be strong enough for the magi to be led and follow all right and there's all kinds of speculations was it a constellation was it even in the outer uh, the outer atmosphere was it in the atmosphere personally i think it was in the atmosphere but that 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 doesn't matter now here's here's another question why would wise men have noticed a star why, why would that have gotten their attention well the the uh the term wise men, in the Greek, it is magi. Um, magi were into the silly occultic practice of astrology, of looking at the night sky and trying to read uh, the times and figure out the future by looking at the stars okay they were into dream interpretation they were into magic not pick a card put it back in the deck shuffle the deck is this your card okay that's not the kind of magic they were in though though i heard they did do a mean double lift but they uh th- that's not the type of magic they were into they were into divination trying to figure out the future through signs and stars now is this God-endorsing astrology? No, no. Uh, in fact, astrology is divination. And in uh, Deuteronomy 18.10, it says, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer. So, um, no, this is not god Endorsing astrology, I, I equate what's going on here to the, the, the similar situation where King Saul in the Old Testament, when he was sane, he outlawed and banned any kind of witchcraft or me, going to mediums. But then he starts going crazy and he wants to know the future. Is he going to win a war? So he goes to a medium, the witch of Endor, to find out what the future is, and he says, can you call up Samuel? And we're told Samuel appeared through this medium, through this witch, and uh, Samuel's message is, Saul, you're going to die tomorrow, okay? Now, I don't think God's endorsing He's clearly not endorsing it, but he's He's speaking through uh, the, the means that Saul has uh, illegitimately chosen. Okay. So this is not scripture endorsing astrology or anything like that. What it is, is God grabbing the interest of unbelievers within their realm of interest, drawing them out of their realm to the scriptures and then ultimately to the savior right you know i i tried to find some modern day examples of how god does this and I've, in fact every one of you who's come to christ if you were to tell your story you would say you know what god got my attention i was into you know sports or i was I was a workaholic, or I was into uh, this or that, and God somehow got my attention while I was obsessed with that realm, all right? So, um, you know what I discovered? I don't subscribe to Christianity Today, but every issue of Christianity Today, they publish the testimony of somebody, and there's all these stories of people who have come to, to Christ, and I found one about a guy who who found the Lord through the stars and another one uh, who found the Lord through kind of the New Age world that she was in. So um, this guy's name is David Block. Um, I can relate to him. He's kind of a balding middle-aged man, and he looks like a deep thinker. I like David Block, okay? Um, he was from... Uh, from South Africa, and he'd always been fascinated with a, astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy, the study of the stars. And uh, he, and let me read part of his testimony. He said, somehow, all the way back when I aimed my first telescope at Saturn, and when I beheld Saturn with its tilted system of rings in all its majesty and splendor, I suspected in my heart that there existed not merely a great designer, but a personal God, but I hadn't yet experienced his still small voice of forgiveness and reassurance. So he went to college to study astronomy, and um, he was befriended by a professor, and this professor was a believer, and uh, David Block started you know, confiding in him, wondering about, is there a personal God? Now, David Block was Jewish and this professor and and the professor introduced him to a pastor and he sat down with the pastor and the pastor said, let me just tell you one thing. Your stumbling block is Jesus of Nazareth, right? And he goes, yep, not, 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 not even going to consider him. And then the pastor opened to Romans 9 where Jesus is called a stumbling block to the Jewish people. And it's like, he said, wait a minute. The Bible says that Jesus is a stumbling block to people like me. And that, that freaked him out. Okay. And, um, he then let his defenses down and he goes on to say, Jesus was my stumbling stone. Jesus had fulfilled all the messianic prophecies in the Hebrew scriptures, uh, where he would be born, how he was to die, and much, much else beside. While most Jewish people today are still waiting for the Messiah, I knew I had found him. So God broke through. Then he says, He had been planting spiritual seeds every time I gazed up into the heavens. It was as if Jesus were looking over my shoulder as I peered through my telescope. Every time I looked upon the wonder of God's creation, especially nowadays as telescopes in space transmit images back to computer screens. I, see, I still see his wondrous glory revealed, and I still marvel that a God so majestic and powerful would know my name and love me as intimately as his own begotten son. So uh, 2,000 years ago, these wise men God got their attention through the stars, and they were led to the Savior. Here, this man, David Block, uh, looks through his telescope at the stars. God gets his attention, and he's led to the Savior. Um, here, I'll shorten this one up. This is a, a, a lady named Nicole Watt, and she's from Ireland. And I don't know if you know this, but Ireland um, is just crawling with the New Age movement and druids and witchcraft and and so forth and um, she became fascinated with this and she says she began studying Reiki which is a new age healing technique that uses different symbols and hand positions and so forth Um, and she became obsessed with this and was doing healing sessions and teaching lessons and gaining quite a reputation for being a healer. She also was invited to go to a church, and she started going to a woman's Bible study where she heard the gospel, and she believed it. She says, I was, I was straddling two worlds. On Saturdays, I would offer Reiki sessions and teach a class. My ability to receive visions and impressions of people gained attention, Uh, But I was becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the Reiki world. Every day I felt a greater burden of conviction to tell people that whatever healing they experienced was a gift from God. He was the answer to all their questions, problems, and longings. Yet saying this was forbidden in in her New Age world. To speak of Jesus as one deity among many, uh, equal in power and authority, that's permitted. But to speak of him as the way, the truth, and the life is out of the question. So then she has this nightmare. One night I had a terrible dream of two witches attacking me. I yelled out the name of Jesus, and immediately they disappeared. I woke from the dream scared, but in awe of a name so powerful that satanic forces fled at his mention. The next day I informed the women that she was teaching. Um, I would no longer teach the class. You don't need this teaching anymore. You need Jesus now. Of course, they turned on her, and she was she was shunned from this new age community. Um, but she ends with this: she says, "The new age is the old Satan playing on our deepest longings for peace, connection, abundance, and immortality. In contrast, the Christian path of obedience, sacrifice, and suffering." Can seem foolish, even masochistic. That's why I praise the name of Jesus, who laid down his life, not for spiritual masters, but for the weak and wounded sinners he loved so dearly. So she was drawn out of her realm, just like the, the wise men, the magi, the magicians were drawn out of their realm, and he got their attention through a star, right? And and God, God gets our attention. But then I want you to see something. He doesn't leave these people just to figure out who God is on their own, just by gazing at stars and at Saturn. Next, God introduces them to the Scripture. Right? So they, they say, hey, where is this king that's supposed to have been born And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be, be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and they go on to read Micah 5.2, that the, the ruler of Israel will come out of Bethlehem. Okay, so notice in the story of the wise men, the story of the astronomer, the story of the new age lady, God brings the seekers to the scriptures to find who the true God is. He doesn't leave them out there to figure it out on their own. He brings them to the scriptures. Now, in their case, in the case of the the wise men, uh, they're brought to prophecy. They're brought to uh, the prophet Micah. Who seven hundred years before the birth of Christ prophesies that the Savior, the Messiah, will come out of Bethlehem. Now, last Sunday, the whole message was on Jesus fulfilling prophecy. And um, now, scholars they they differ on how many uh, prophecies there really are. I quoted one guy who said there's over five hundred verses pointing to Jesus. I don't know that all of them would qualify as prophecy. Um, others have said 300. Um, I grew up reading Josh McDowell. He says there are 60 clear prophecies. And then I mentioned um, this quote from Peter Stoner. Okay. According to Peter Stoner in his book, Science Speaks, the likelihood of a person fulfilling just eight of the major prophecies would be um, so, so let's say there's 60 clear prophecies. He takes eight of them. Like this person needed to be born in Bethlehem. They needed to come from an exact genealogy that goes from Abraham through Judah, through David. Um, He will be betrayed by uh, a friend for 30 pieces of silver. His hands will be pierced. His feet will be pierced. Um, So, I have no idea how you calculate these odds, but other scientists have read this and statisticians, and they've said, yep, yeah, this, this is valid. So the the odds of a person being able to fulfill just eight of the major prophecies would be one to the 100 quadrillionth power, or to, one in, in one hundred quadrillion. Okay, I actually had to count the zeros. You got your thousands, ten thousand, or hundred thousands, your millions. And so, I, you know, remember when a million was a was a, a lot of money? Um, now you know, you've got trillions, but now we're into the quadrillions. Now, what I failed to do on Sunday was give you the illustration. I was so busy doing the math and so forth. I, I forgot to give you the illustration. The, the illustration is this is the equivalent of filling the state of Texas two feet high in silver dollars. All right. So that's a lot of, lot of silver dollars. You take one and put an X on it and you mix it in. You blindfold somebody, push them out of an airplane with a parachute. They land. It could be in San Antonio could be in Dallas, could be wherever. They land and they randomly grab one of the coins. The odds that they get the one with the X are one in a hundred quadrillion, okay? So the scriptures foretell of the coming of the Christ. They tell who he is. And now we have the New Testament scriptures that, that give us... Uh, you know, hindsight of, well, here's, he came, here's what he did. He died. He rose. He fulfills all the prophecies. Okay. So they read the scriptures. The scriptures say, you go to Bethlehem. They went down to Bethlehem and there was Jesus. Now um, this is not the night of his birth. This could be uh, up to two years later, because uh, remember when Herod sends the wise men uh, to kill the babies, he said, two years and younger. So by this time, Jesus may have been uh, as old as two years old, but they find him. They find the Savior, Savior and Lord. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Um, you know, every, every Christmas, um, a pastor who's been, preaching Christmas sermons year after year after year. And and you know what? You don't just do one sermon a year. You do many, right? And uh, after a while you go, what, is there anything new? Is there anything that I may have missed? And I pray every year, Lord, show me something. And I think I found something that I'd never, never seen before here. Um, They fell down. So I wanted to do a little word study on people who fall down before Jesus. And and here's here's what I found out. Most of the people who fall before Jesus are outsiders or even outcasts. There's something about being an outsider that seems to make these people even more receptive to the truth of the savior then the insiders, then the religious people. So, so these men, they, now it doesn't mean they were, um, uh, they were outcasts here. These probably were pretty well-to-do wealthy people, but they were outsiders in that they weren't Jews. They were Persian occultists. Yet when they see Jesus, they know he's the Savior, and they fall at his feet. In Luke chapter 7, there's a Pharisee named Simon having a dinner party, and uh, Jesus is at the table, and into the room comes a prostitute, and Simon is rolling his eyes, and he's embarrassed, and she not only comes in the room, but she comes over to Jesus and falls at his feet, and is crying on his feet, and washing his feet with her hair, and the, the, the Pharisees beside himself, and Jesus uh, says, Simon, she has treated me the right way. You didn't even greet me with a kiss when I came in the room. You didn't wash my feet, but this outcast, outsider falls at Jesus' feet. She's more receptive than, than he is. There's a leper full of leprosy, an outcast who falls at Jesus' feet, and he heals him. There's, in Luke's gospel, 10 lepers who Jesus heals. And he says, go tell the priests, and they all go tell the priests. And he says, only one came back and fell at his feet. And then Luke adds the words, oh, and he was a Samaritan, a double outcast, a a leper, and a Samaritan, and he's the one who recognizes who Jesus is. Jesus goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon, which is not Israel, so he's out of Israel, and a woman whose daughter is possessed by a demon, she knows that Jesus can cast this demon out, and she falls at His feet. All right. Maybe tonight you feel like an outsider. Maybe you feel too sinful, too broken. You're just not with the in religious group. And the good news is you may be far more spiritually sensitive than some insiders. So here's the invitation come to Jesus. Fall at his feet. Worship him, because he is Lord and Savior. God, who becomes man to dwell with us, to walk amongst us, to die for our sin, to rise from the dead, he invites you to fall at his feet and worship him. I pray you would do that. Let me pray. And then we're going to sing Silent Night, okay? Lord, again, thank you for your humility. You humbled yourself and came to earth in a very quiet way. And you lived a humble life. You died a humble, humiliating death. And, Lord, you are drawing people. You are giving people seeking hearts. You've caught their attention in their different realms and I pray, Lord, that, that as we've been drawn to the scriptures, we would see who you are and we would be led to you and to fall at your feet and worship you because you, uh, you are worthy of our worship. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Have a great Christmas. Sunday, we're out at Maple Park. See you there. God bless you.